Fierce. Girl Power. This is the story of the girl who flew first, Nancy Bird Walton, read by singer and songwriter Kate Miller Heidke. Mulga trees. Nancy Bird was about to be killed by a clump of mulga trees. This wasn't how it was supposed to end. She'd checked the directions three times over. Fly west along the dog-proof fence for 30 miles, turn north and you'll see the homestead. She saw the house all right. It looked like a matchbox from the air, with a tiny ant-sized family in the yard waving frantically for help. It must have been a serious emergency. Why else would they have ignored Nancy's instructions? Lay a white sheet on the ground where you want me to land. Light a small fire so I can see which way the wind is blowing. There was no sheet. There was no fire. There wasn't even a decent clearing. Just trees. Mulga trees. Everywhere. As Nancy circled lower in the sky, the family kept waving like crazy. She couldn't ignore them. They obviously needed her stat. Her only hope was to say a prayer. Dear God, please don't let me die. Not in a clump of mulga trees. Nancy eyeballed the clearest patch of dust she could find. Possibly wide enough for her leopard moth, but still bumpy and stumpy. She slowly nosedived in and half pulled the handbrake on. Her wheels hit a mound of dirt and her head smashed the top of the cockpit. Ouch! She slammed on the brakes and closed her eyes. Dear God, please don't let me die. Not in a clump of mulga trees. The plane came to a stop. There was no crashing sound, just a cockatoo squawking from somewhere out of sight. Nancy opened one eye, then the other. She lifted her goggles. Yellow flowers. Bright yellow flowers. They were blooming on the branches of a clump of mulga trees. Just a few steps away from Nancy's windscreen. She hadn't hit them. Nancy checked over her arms, her legs, her hands, her feet, all in one piece. She was alive! Woohoo! What on earth are you doing? A voice called. Nancy pulled herself together and jumped out of the plane. My God, it's a woman, said the man from the family of mad wavers. It was a reaction Nancy heard a lot. She was the one and only woman in all of Australia with a commercial pilot's licence. There'd been other women pilots, but she was the very first allowed to whisk through the air for cold, hard cash. Her job was to fly her tiny plane thousands of kilometres to help people stuck on isolated properties in the middle of nowhere, usually when they had a medical problem and needed a doctor or nurse. They called her the Angel of the Outback. But something wasn't adding up. The family who'd been waving for their lives didn't seem distressed at all. 
You called for a plane? Nancy asked. They looked at her with puzzled expressions. Did we get a plane, Dad? One of the boys asked, hopefully. Uh-oh. You were waving your arms, Nancy said. What seems to be the problem? The man blushed. We were, we were just excited, he said. We'd never seen an airplane before. From that moment on, Nancy flew by a new motto. If in doubt, don't. She wouldn't be so reckless again, even if it did make for a funny story. There were people who really did need her. The outback was a breathtakingly beautiful, but tough place to live. Kids often got sick because they had no fruit and vegetables in the desert. They ate almost nothing but salty meat and bread. Dentists were unheard of, and most kids' teeth had rotted by the time they grew up. Before Nancy started flying her air ambulance out there, if you got really sick, or if you were in an accident, you didn't have much chance of surviving. Hospitals were too far, cars were too slow, and roads were too rough. If you've ever heard the phrase out the back of Burke to describe somewhere super far away, that's where Nancy lived and flew, mostly alone. One afternoon, she got a call to a property a long way west of Burke, the Ridgy Didge Outback. A woman had just given birth, but it hadn't gone smoothly. She wouldn't make it if Nancy didn't get there in a flash. But Nancy wasn't sure she'd arrive before dark, and in those days, planes couldn't fly at night. There were no radios in planes back then, and certainly no high-tech computers to help you navigate. But Nancy had to try. She got the basic directions on the phone before takeoff. Follow this road 180 miles, turn left at the creek, right at the shed, and head another 90 miles along the fence line. Nancy sat in the bucket-shaped pilot seat of her leopard moth and laid out an old road map on her knees. Luckily, the cockpit was enclosed, not like the gypsy moth she learned to fly in. It had an open top, so Nancy's head and shoulders stuck out, exposed to the freezing wind and scorching sun. That's why she had to wear a helmet and goggles. She rattled down the runway and soared seamlessly into the air. Distances were a bit different in the sky, but Nancy also had a compass, a watch, a pencil and a notepad to help her navigate. With one eye on the treetops and the other on her paper, she began to scribble down sums to figure out exactly where she was and how far she had left to go. Talk about multitasking. When Nancy caught sight of the new mum's property, she had a moment of panic. The paddock where they'd told her to land was tiny. If in doubt, don't, she told herself. She flew in circles, 
measuring the distance between fences and trees against the length of her plane. She circled and worried, worried and circled. Then she took a deep breath. You can make the landing, she told herself. You just might need some help taking off again. Nancy slowly plunged towards the ground, gently touching down in the paddock and carefully pulling to a stop. Just clear of a fence. Told you that you could do it, she whispered. The new mum was carried out to the plane, pale and limp. You have to rip down this fence, Nancy told the men on the property. It's the only way I'll get back in the air. As the sky turned orange with the setting sun, the men demolished the fence they'd no doubt worked hard to build. When a good enough runway was cleared, Nancy took off. She tried not to let the mum distract her from the passenger seat in the back. You can make it, she told herself. You have to. As the horizon turned to a greyish blue, Nancy focused on the scribbles in her notepad and the path ahead. She squinted at the ground below, wondering if she was wrong. Maybe she would have to make an emergency landing. Maybe the mum wouldn't live and Nancy would be to blame. Then came a glimmer. Rooftops. Tiny, shiny rooftops in the distance. Civilization at last. Nancy beamed as the leopard moth touched back down, getting the mum to hospital just as the sky turned black. Years later, that mum ran into Nancy again. Remember me? she asked. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here today, and neither would my three kids. Nancy cried. She was proud of herself. When she first became a pilot, she didn't plan to help people. She'd simply always wanted to fly, like a bird, a Nancy bird. Whee! Look at me! I'm an EpiPlane! Four-year-old Nancy stretched out her arms and leapt from the top of her fence to the ground below. The country was buzzing with talk of an air race between Australia and England. The excitement had rubbed off on Nancy, but she didn't just want to be a pilot. She wanted to be an actual plane. She was plane obsessed. P-L-A-N-E obsessed. As she reached her teens and realised she couldn't physically morph into a flying machine, Nancy decided sitting inside planes would have to do. She worked in her dad's general store, saving every penny she earned to pay for joy flights at country fairs. When one of the pilots noticed her constantly hanging around, he said, If you're really keen on learning to fly, come to my air school in the city. I'll teach you. His name was Charles Kingsford Smith, and he was the most famous pilot in the world. 
He was the first ever to fly across the Pacific from the United States to Australia. But the truth was, even though he was kind, Charles didn't actually believe women should fly, at least not professionally. He took Nancy on because he wanted to be paid. But after he took her money, he told her that he didn't think a woman's place was in a plane. <gasps> well, if Nancy was going to prove anyone wrong, it may as well be a global superstar. Nancy was only five foot tall? No problem. She sat on cushions so she could reach the controls. She was only 45 kilograms? No problem. She filled the plane with weights known as ballast to make it heavy enough. Wow! Planes were expensive. No problem. She would fly for money as well as for fun. Oh. Nancy never let anyone clip her wings. And when she finally hung up her goggles in the outback, she dedicated herself to encouraging other women to fly. Today, women are airline captains, fighter pilots and even astronauts. Thanks to Nancy Bird Walton, the sky's the limit. Would anybody care to come up with me? It's only 10 shillings a ticket. Come on, who'll come up with me? Maybe me mate Stan will have a go. Stan, yes, come on, Stan. I hope you enjoyed the story of Nancy Bird Walton. What an incredible woman. My name's Kate Miller-Heidke and I'm a singer and a songwriter. You can hear more amazing stories on the Fierce Girls podcast, like this one about Jessica Watson, the girl who sailed solo around the world. It was part roar, part screech, part scrape, part crash. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. Jessica Watson was a 16-year-old girl in a pink boat trying to prove that she could sail around the world all alone. Then she went and crashed into a 63,000-ton container ship while taking a nap. Oops. But Jessica survived and started again. She set her fears aside and sailed into the sunset, spending her days surrounded by squeaking dolphins. Then there were the storms. Jessica's boat was pummeled by 10-meter waves. She ran up the cabin walls and onto the ceiling as the boat turned upside down over and over again. After seven months at sea, Jessica made it home. She was met by thousands of cheering fans, including the Prime Minister of Australia. He called her Australia's newest hero. But Jessica disagreed. I don't consider myself a hero. I'm an ordinary girl, an ordinary girl who always knew she could do it, and she did. Wow, Jessica is amazing. Imagine doing that. To hear more awesome episodes of Fierce Girls, go to the ABC Listen app or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And stay fierce. Fierce. Girl power. Girl power. Roll the credits. Fierce Girls is produced by a bunch of super fierce women. Its executive producers are Justine Kelly and Monique Bowley. It's produced by Laura McAuliffe and Rebecca Armstrong. The stories are written by the uber-talented Samantha Turnbull. 
Judy Rapley is the amazing audio engineer who puts in the cool sound effects like this one. <gasps> Kelly Reardon is the boss who lets us make fierce podcasts like this one. Fierce Girls is a production of the ABC Audio Studios.